You're listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast from Judicial Watch. I'm Chris Farrell, and this is On Watch. Welcome to On Watch, everybody, the Judicial Watch podcast, where we take a deep dive at all sorts of topics about government corruption, malfeasance, uh, shenanigans, corruption, you name it, Judicial Watch digs into it. And on this show, I have a chance to talk to some folks who have uh, lots of experience, lots of background, and they tell us about what's going on with your government and what it's doing to you or at you or for you or not. Uh, today, we have a returning guest, one of my absolute favorites, good personal friend of mine, wonderful professional attorney and journalist with an incredible background. Uh, you've heard me praise her work before. And like I said before, full disclosure, she's a good friend, so I'm more, I, I am prejudiced uh, towards my guest. But we're going to talk about something very important, and that's the indictment of President Donald Trump up in New York. To do so, we're going to welcome Christina Bob. Welcome back to On Watch. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for having me. I love coming on, and I, too, am biased for the host. <laughs> that's Feeling great. mutual. That's great. Hey, listen, everybody, the president, the former president of the United States has been indicted in a New York state court. For the most part, probably 95 percent of Americans couldn't really give you a definition of indicted other than it's a bad thing. Uh, But luckily today we have Christina Bob with us, who is an attorney for President Trump. She's not actually working on this criminal case in New York, but she is an attorney. She is an advisor and legal uh, counsel to the president. And so she's got some informed opinion based on her years of experience in her association with President Trump. So I'm sure she'll share some ideas and thoughts that she has about the indictment. Uh, but we also want to make time uh, to inform you and to encourage you to go out and buy Christina's book, because we're also going to talk about elections for a little bit towards the end of the segment. And Christina Bob's book is called Stealing Your Vote. And I'm going to quiz her on on her book and uh, maybe tease it a little bit and encourage you to go out and uh, buy a copy of it. So let's get back to the beginning of the story. Christina, again, welcome. Uh, The president has been indicted. What does that even mean? What's an indictment? Oh, my gosh, it's crazy that we're in this position. And just to be clear, you know, I'm not on the New York legal team. I'm on the campaign. But generally speaking, an indictment is formal charges, you know, uh, formal prosecution charges filed against someone. And then the arraignment that we saw on Tuesday is basically where they read the charges, let the, the defendant know the charges against him, his rights, you know, make sure he's got counsel and all the the stuff that the procedure is in order to move forward with charges. So this is a process and procedure event, what happened in New York. Right. It, it doesn't mean anybody's guilty of anything. It means that a particular prosecutor uh, believes that he has sufficient evidence to charge someone with a crime. Right. It's and, funny and, you say that. That um, doesn't mean anybody's guilty of anything. I think that's interesting that Nancy Pelosi got that wrong. I'm sure you saw <laughs> that where she said... He has the opportunity to prove his innocence. She's the Speaker of the House. And in the United States of America, it's the government's burden to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. It's a very high burden. And the fact that she flips it around like that should terrify every American. 
Right. And I mean, at this stage of the game in Nancy Pelosi's professional career, I think a lot of the Botox injections have actually leaked into her brain. Uh, so she may not be operating, you know, with all 52 cards. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, the notion that she doesn't have a fundamental constitutional concept correct, that we're innocent until proven guilty, uh, shouldn't be really a surprise for anyone. Um, but, you know, just because a lawyer stands in a courtroom and says something, it doesn't mean it's true, does it? Of course not. And there have <laughs> been a lot of lawyers recently that have proven that to not be the case. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that you, your answer included uh, spontaneous laughter. I mean, <laughs> the, the, everyone has to understand just because some lawyer says something in a courtroom, that means virtually nothing. It's all clown show posturing and, uh, you know, various efforts to create an impression. The problem, the danger, and most Americans don't get this, the problem and danger is that these clown show productions, like this deal with Alvin Bragg in New York, the problem is it has the weight of government behind it. So even when you have a certified right. moron making representations in a court, the process takes over and the wheels of government start to churn. And that's the danger, not just for President Trump, but for any ordinary citizen, you can get ground up in the wheels of the process. Right. Yeah. I mean, the weight of the United States government is is very heavy. It's very forceful. And uh, they they use that. Right. They throw their weight around. And I think we're at a point now where. You know, and I, I'm I'm conservative. I was raised respecting police officers. I was raised to re uh, respect the government. I joined the military. I became an attorney. I respect the rule of law. That's all very important. But now, after the last year, two years that I've experienced my own uh, run-ins with the United States government, I can't help but sit back and scratch my head and go, "You're just you're an American the same way I am." Like. Just because you work for the government, why, why are, you know, we, we, I think we need to take a closer look at like, are we acquiescing way too much to our peers, uh, giving them authority over that, us when they're proving not to be trustworthy? Yeah, I, I always enjoy reminding government officials whenever I possibly can that they are nothing but trusted servants. Right. That's all they are. They're trusted servants. The people are sovereign not the government attorneys or the guys right. with guns and badges. It's the other way around. And we've lost our way there. Uh, let me let me drift back, though, talking about losing our way. Let me get back to this idea of uh, an indictment followed by an arraignment. And the arraignment is you stand in front of a judge. The prosecutor makes an announcement or does an explanation that the person, in this case, President Trump, is being charged with uh, crimes that they they allege, and it, it, what what Alvin Bragg, the district attorney in New York, has come up with is really quite novel, isn't it? It's amazing. It's you, you know, it it feels like what they're trying to do is create a new crime and charge him for activity that was not a crime at the time that the actions took place. Um, it, you know, that's not allowed in American law. It's not, it's not legal to do that, but that's pretty much what they're trying to do. 
And so four times. Yeah. So it's a bookkeeping error, essentially, or or a, a uh, not. I, keeping I wouldn't even accurate... call it an error. Like, I don't even think they can prove that it was an error. Yeah. Like, it, it all was legal. And, you know, again, I'm not on that legal team, so I don't know the facts the way that they do. But from what I can see, and, I, you know, I'm using open source news, but from what I can see, it, it, was, it was all legal. There was nothing. There's not even an accounting error. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's a very good point, because uh, I think it's important to, to also acknowledge that uh, if you run down the Stormy Daniels path and you say that uh, a payment was made as a settlement between two private parties, much like Bill Clinton paying $850,000 to Paula Jones. Somehow and Michael amne- Cohen paid it. There yeah. was no connection to Donald Trump. This this was not Donald Trump. Now, Michael Cohen, who's a pathological liar, is apparently <laughs> trying to say that Donald Trump directed him to do this. But he has also said through his attorneys in writing to the U.S. government that Donald Trump did not direct him to do this and that Michael Cohen did this of his own accord. Now, people go, oh, well, why would Michael Cohen pay Stormy Daniels $130,000 of his own? I don't know. But that's what they all said happened. Now, is it possible that Michael Cohen, who makes very good money as a New York attorney working for Donald Trump, was such a kiss ass that he wanted to resolve the problem for the president and just be, well, he wasn't even the president at the time, but um, just resolve a problem and say, you know, Mr. President or Mr. Trump, I, I solved this problem for you. It went away just to earn the good graces of an extremely powerful man. Could that be worth it to him? It could be. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. yeah I mean, his role, as it's been variously described uh, back in the president's uh, New York real estate developer days, uh, and his obviously his other buildings he has around the world and his resorts and everything else, his other real estate holdings, uh, Cohen has been characterized, and again, I have no direct knowledge of this, but for everything I've right. ever read, he was a fixer. He was a guy who went out and took care of stuff. Yep. Because because a, a billionaire real estate developer and hotel and resort guy, he doesn't have time for a lot of nickel and dime stuff, and so he palms it off on an attorney who runs around and does things for him, and they're usually very well compensated for doing that. But yep. So here we are. Uh, and you know the all, the left is all they're doing cartwheels and happy dances and uh, they couldn't be any more excited because now you've got. I don't an even know. President. I think some of them recognize that this is a, this is a real stink bomb for the left. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's rocket fuel to the Trump campaign so far. He's raising tens of millions of dollars off of this. Right. It's upsetting people. It's it's. Um, solidifying people behind Donald Trump. And yes, so, like the crazies, the, the far crazies on the left like this, but yeah. they're, they're the minority on the left. I think there's a lot of people on the left looking at this, biting their nails going, was this the best case to bring? Because you bring one indictment, okay, you know, that, that's a problem for Donald Trump. Maybe you'll get him. You bring two indictments, three indictments, four indictments, It all in many different states, it becomes so clear that the left has politicized the government and is now prosecuting their political opponents. That leaves a very, very bad taste in the, in the mouths of the American public. 
So I think there's some, and I don't know, you know, this is just me speculating from what I'm seeing, but I'm wondering if there's folks on the left going, ooh, this was not, like, if we're going to try to indict him, if we're going to try to keep him out of office by criminalizing him, you got to bring your best case. I don't, I don't know if this, I don't think the best case is Stormy Daniels. Yeah. I can tell you that uh, an avowed leftist who is a personal contact of mine was sort of, this is a few weeks back, was sort of gleefully, uh, you know, rubbing their hands together at the prospect. And I commented sort of off the cuff. I said, you do that, you guarantee his election. And the person's face kind of fell when I said that. Yeah, oh, they didn't think of that? It caused them to kind of pause and realize, hey, wait a minute, maybe there's a boomerang effect here. Yeah, and so, I think they're all experiencing that now when they see the fact that he was raised $10 million since Tuesday, you know, just and I understand. This. I understand that the, the vast majority of that was from new donors, people yeah. who were, had not previously given to Trump or any of his uh, campaigns or funds Correct. or whatever. Many of them were DeSantis donors. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's unfair to ask you to break out the crystal ball because uh, so I'll do it and you can either <laughs> agree or disagree. But I mean, I would not be at all surprised uh, if the uh, Georgia prosecutor, Fulton County prosecutor jumps on board. We all saw the bizarre uh, grand jury four yeah. person, uh, the green witch who looked like she you know, came out of the basement of the science building. Uh, what a strange character she was. Yep. Uh, so she's gleefully uh, excited about indicting uh, the president. And then uh, there's this guy wandering around D.C., uh, Jack Smith. Now he's busy sharp sharpening his hatchet right. and scaring people and threatening them. And, uh, you know, uh, I think the president described it very well Uh Look, just say something negative about Trump and we'll let you off. You know, that's, that's sort of the it, it seems to be that, you know, that that's that's the mentality, you know, of, they're so yeah. frantically desperate. Anyway, uh, so I would not be surprised if we saw two more. Uh, actually, I guess it would almost be uh, three more because you'd have Fulton County, Georgia, and then Jack Smith has got two different investigations. He's right. pursuing. So yeah. I mean, they could they could jump on with three more indictments, yeah, uh, because they are wild eyed uh, in their. They've all gone insane. That's why yeah. they've yeah. gone insane. Yeah, they could, and you know what? Donald Trump will prevail at all of them because none of them are legitimate. They're just not yeah. legitimate. Yeah, yeah. So well, uh, so you know, I guess next step. So you know, everyone. I think a lot of people, certainly people listening to this podcast, probably saw uh, the coverage uh, back uh, earlier this week. Mm -hmm. And they probably saw President Trump's uh, speech from Mar-a-Lago afterwards. Um, and you just made reference to the, the boom uh, for him in fundraising. Uh, marching forward, uh, what do you think, uh, again, speculative, but... Uh, does this uh, does this judge in New York have the guts to try to tell a presidential candidate that he's under a gag order? I don't think so. I think that would have happened if that were going to happen. Um, so I'm I'm hopeful that it's not. I I think that's a bridge too far. I mean, yeah. 
I, I said bridge too far. We're so far. We're like 10 bridges further than <laughs> where we're supposed to be. So it's like, anything, anything goes at this point, but I, I just, I don't think that would hold up on appeal. There's nothing to gag. Usually, I mean, you know, you, you were a federal investigator. You probably know this better than I do, but usually gag orders pertain to keeping witnesses safe or, right. or, you know, some secret piece of information that would be dangerous for some reason. If it got out, there's none of that here. Everybody knows the facts. Everybody knows the players. Everybody knows the accusations. There's no reason to have a gag order. So yeah. If yeah. he actually did try to issue a gag order, I think it'd get overturned pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that would also race its way to the Supreme Court. Yep. So I understand that uh, the president's due back in New York uh, for some sort of a preliminary hearing or something in December. Is that right? Um, yeah, I've heard that again. I, you know, I don't I don't necessarily know the specifics, but yeah, yeah something like that. So bizarre. OK, so. um I think we've touched on or we've we've dealt with the lunacy in New York. Alvin Bragg uh, is a real political animal. Uh, we've got uh, we're, we're, we're doing uh, an investigation and going to do sort of a, a white paper on you know who is Alvin Bragg. So Judicial Watch supporters can understand the background and context because, you know, look, for the most part, people are busy leading their lives, running around, going to work, you know. Yeah, of uh, course. Not everybody has the time to research all this stuff. And what they get on television is really so dumbed down that it's it's difficult for them to really keep themselves well informed. And that's really kind of why we did this podcast. So we could take a few minutes and back up and talk to people who actually know what the hell they're talking about and, and fill in the blanks for people so they, they get some context. Um so let me, this is uh, no fair because I'm jumping off topic from 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 talking about the indictment and the arraignment to, uh, this touches on your book uh, mm -hmm. and it has to do with, with Wisconsin. Did you follow this Wisconsin Supreme Court election case at all? I did. I sure did. I'm curious uh, your yeah, thoughts so, on it. Yeah. So I guess the guy they ran from the Republican side had already Dan lost Kelly. once before. Um, so somebody who supposedly knows something told me that he was already sort of a certified loser from a previous election and that yeah. no, no one, no one should be surprised that he lost again and right. that there may, that there may have been another Republican candidate, a female judge, uh, who may have been a better. Oh, I, I have candidate. no doubt that that's true. Robin Voss is the speaker of the assembly, Republican speaker of the assembly in Wisconsin, and he basically runs the Republican Party and all things Republican in the state of Wisconsin. And right. he is a rhino. He's a never Trumper. He would rather let Democrats win even this woke, crazy ideology than allow American conservatives to actually have their voice in government. I mean, he is the antithesis of everything good and just in government. Um, so, yeah, I don't doubt that he would have put forward a loser allowing Democrats to win. I do think it's interesting that Democrats won a supermajority in the Senate. So all over the state, you know, Senates are not statewide. The Senate is not statewide races. They're districts. Right. And the districts all went red. But the statewide candidate, it's the Democrats still won. I just think that's you wanna, interesting. You want to hear a fun number that I learned today? Yeah. Uh, you know how much money they spent on that race? Hmm. Forty-five million dollars. The Democrats. 
Uh, I guess the race overall, the total total campaign expenses. Forty five million dollars. And the, the, the previous the previous record for a similar type race had been fifteen million. So they went way above and beyond anything they've ever. You said fifteen, so they went three times what the previous record was. That is correct. That's insane. We've got to do something about Citizens United. I mean, it, the yeah, the money in politics is just gross at this point. So it's just, I mean, I always think it's interesting. And when in doubt, whoever has the most money wins, right? right. So uh, when you walk it back, that, that was kind of an interesting, it's just another factor. Um, so in the world of Wisconsin election politics, we're going to drift over to your expertise, your focal point. You've written a book about it, Stealing Your Vote. Uh, it's something that is really in your portfolio professionally when it comes to both your legal work, but also in your days as a journalist. Talk to me about, uh, first of all, talk about your book, but secondly, uh, make an application of that to the situation in Wisconsin. Why, why, do, why should our listeners give a damn? Why should they be paying attention to this? Because uh, your listeners are the ones that are going to save America. I mean, it's going to come from the American people getting involved uh, and I, I go into great detail in Wisconsin in the book, but, you know, we've been waiting for a few years for top down answer and it just hasn't come. It hasn't emerged. And if anything, our leaders have proven themselves how corrupt they are, or how cowardly they are, depending on which side of the aisle they're on. And so I think the 2021 election actually showed us the blueprint for how we do this. I mean, Virginia was just one year out from the 2020 election, and they managed to secure the election and secure a conservative win. How did they do that? A lot of people got involved. I mean, there were a lot of angry parents about being called domestic terrorists at school board meetings. You know, the Loudoun County School Board had all their issues. Uh, you had transgenders in the girls' bathroom. They were committing sexual assault and critical race theory. I mean, this was a school board hot spot, and parents showed up in mass not just to vote but to work the elections and that's how they that's how they did it so this isn't a oh we don't have time oh it's never gonna happen no this takes people getting involved just get involved and do it secure the election and you can secure the state it, it's going to come down to a precinct level and county level process and if you've never been involved before and you don't know how to get involved go to precinctstrategy.com and get involved through that organization. It's a great organization that helps people who have never been involved politically before to get plugged in and help help secure your precincts. So say the name of the website again. Precinctstrategy.com. All right. So we have precinctstrategy.com. Your book uh, isn't just sort of, uh, you know, tales from the nightmare 2020 election. Your book also offers a way forward, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, I give a lot of examples of people working in these communities uh, making a difference in what you can do as, you know, a lot of people think, well, this is such a big, massive problem. What can I as one individual do? A lot. And I give a lot of examples of just individual people and how they made a difference in these communities. And just to show you, like, just being part of the process, you might not feel like you're doing anything monumental. You really are. So just get involved. So the website for the group that's doing good work, Precinct to Precinct, is called what? Precinct, P-R-E, is it C-I? Yep. 
precinctstrategy.com. Precinctstrategy.com. And then everyone listening to this podcast must immediately either run outside or get on their Amazon app or whatever it is, but go out. Hate hate to endorse Amazon, but they're I know there's not monstrous to get away from. Yeah, but they need to get your book, and your book is called "Stealing Your Vote: The Inside Story of the 2020 Election and What It Means for 2024." And it's important to get that, not just from a historical perspective, but proactively, prospectively going forward. You give advice, guidance, practical yeah. tips, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's not just woe well, is me, it's woe well, is me and get off your butt and go do something. That's right. That's exactly right. The book will frustrate you a little bit, but it really is designed to motivate you into action and to give you ideas and examples of what you can do to help secure your own area. Um, I, you know, I will frustrate you with the stories of what happened in 2020, but it really is about securing 2024. And so I hope that readers, while they will probably be frustrated, I hope they uh, close the book feeling empowered. Uh, that was, that's what I was going for. Stealing your vote, Christina Bob, go buy it right away. Christina, I want to thank you for taking time talking to us today about the the insanity, the the insane obsession of the left to legally attack uh, President Trump. Uh, your commentary, your insights are super important. And thank you also for bringing us up to speed on some practical things that people can do uh, coming up to the next election. Christina, Bob, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Chris, so much. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm Chris Farrell on Watch. Thanks for listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.